Well, good morning. It is great to be with you today. Thanks for being here today. I just, someone leaned over and whispered to me, this is a full sanctuary. <laughs> this is good to see so many today. All of you watching online, thanks for joining us today. You are here as well with us. And uh, it's just exciting to be here. We have spent months getting ready for this time. Uh, some of you have spent longer than that. But we, my wife and I, we have planned and packed and padded and even panicked a little bit as we've been getting ready to be with you this morning. And uh, it's just great to be here. We headed out last Friday about a week ago and, and uh, left Colorado and drove into Kansas. And uh, of course, we had to stop at the state line, get a little picture of the you're leaving Colorado sign, and then a few hundred feet later, stopped again for the welcome to Kansas sign. And uh, it was fun. Haven got about an hour or so behind the wheel on the highway. That's her longest stint driving on the highway so far. And uh, she loved it. I was terrified, but it was great. <laughs> it was great uh, being on the highway with her. Probably my favorite part of the trip over here, though, was stopping in Salina, and we came across the Cozy Inn, and we got some little hamburger sliders there at the Cozy Inn. Uh, we each got four of them, and uh, they're still hanging on to us a little bit uh, this morning, <laughs> a week later, uh, but that was, that was really a great way to start our, our time in Kansas, a real highlight for us. Uh, and I just have to say, we so appreciate how you have welcomed us here uh, the cards, the gift cards, we came into the Birch House, our temporary home, and the fridge was packed, the pantry was full of food, and it was clean. We just felt so welcomed uh, by you. So thank you for that, all that you've done to pray and prepare for us to be here. Uh, I'm so thankful Angela is Haven and Haven's friend Sage that is with us for a few weeks. Uh, we're just all blown away by your hospitality and, and your welcome for us. If you have uh, moved lately uh, to a new home, a new apartment, uh, if you've packed up an office and headed to a new uh, business place, you, you know what it's like when you go through all of your stuff and get reminded of all the seasons of your life. You know, you find files in the back of the file cabinet, you come across old pictures, and you, it's almost like while you're packing, you go on a little journey uh, through uh, life, the seasons of life that God has given you. And, and we have definitely experienced that. And you go to those, those high and great moments of your life, you hit some of those darker moments, those sad times you're reminded of as well. But it's quite a journey through memory lane, a lot of reflection. And we're closing up this, this chapter of our life in Arvada, Colorado. It's, it was a good chapter. We were there for 13 years. Um, my kids grew up there, and, and we've moved here now starting this new chapter here in Kansas. And Hillcrest, i got to say, my prayer is that this will be a good and long chapter together, that God will be doing things here in us and through us, expanding his kingdom in this area of the world. And we're excited to be with you. Um, it's interesting to think about our lives in that way, like chapters in a book, different seasons that we go through. Uh, almost like if someone were to write our story, that we'd, we'd have that in a book, or if someone was putting a screenplay together, that there'd be a movie of our lives. And it's a little challenging to think about that. Uh, you know, if your life was a, a movie, or if it was a story, would it, would it be a good story? Would it be compelling? You know, if it was a movie, how would it do on the Rotten Tomatoes scale? You know, <laughs> the story of your life. Um, would it be a book that people wanted to keep turning the pages, or would they just sort of, would it sit on the nightstand and not really get picked up? Uh, what kind of story would your story be? Uh, in your story, would you be the hero, or would you be the villain of your story? Uh, that's an interesting thing to reflect on a little bit. Um, it probably has a lot to do with how you treat other people, and how you treat yourself, if you'd be the hero or the villain. But just thinking about our lives as a story, it's an interesting way to think about the journey of our lives. 
With, with storytelling, there, there are principles that make a story effective. There are, there are principles that make it a compelling story, that draw people in. And writers and screenwriters, they know this. They use these different elements to create a good story. So there's a few that, that just come to mind. One, there's got to be a good lead character. There's got to be someone who is compelling, someone who is real and authentic that we can connect with as the audience. We want to see someone in the story or on the screen that we can relate to, that makes sense to us. And often that just means that they know themselves and they're true to who they are, who God created them to be, and they're living out an authentic life in front of us. That often makes them a good character. Second, this lead character, they have to have some kind of ambition. Some, something that's driving them in life, some kind of purpose that's calling them forward. If they don't have any ambition, it's not a good story. It's just Joe eating pizza, watching the evening news. And, and that's a bad story, okay, in case you don't know. That is not compelling. So a, a good story is going to have some, some ambition and challenge to it. And there's going to be some conflict. There's got to be something that's pushing the characters forward. Without conflict, the story just falls flat. So there has to be some interpersonal conflict or some natural disaster or, or some kind of pain or suffering that, that moves the story forward and it, it causes people to grow in their lives. There's got to be some kind of conflict. Finally, there has to be a resolution. There's got to be an ending to the story, a way of wrapping it up. And writers will tell you that if you end the story laughing, it's a comedy. If you end the story crying, it's a tragedy. And it's one of those two. There might be a little bit of a spectrum in between, but it's either a comedy or a tragedy. So I don't know what today's like for you. I don't know if this is a comedy day or a tragedy day, but I'm hoping this morning we're going to push you to one side or the other as we're together this morning. Last week, we were sitting with some new friends at dinner. We were having, playing a game, and during that game, we had to act out different words and phrases, and we were trying to figure out how do you act out the phrase, a pair of bulldogs, a, a pair of bulldogs. That's, that got us laughing. That, that got us laughing. So that was a comedy night for us. Uh, obviously, there's other days that are more tragic, and usually I end up crying by the end of that day. Uh, but, but those are the different kinds of conclusions there are to stories. Just a few elements that make up a good story. Stories have a way of affecting us, uh, of challenging us. A good story draws us in, and it allows us to see true things about this world, about other people's experiences that, that we might not otherwise come across. A good story will reveal God's beauty and truth to us in new ways. And our God is a storytelling God. When you think about scripture, when you think about the Bible, it is filled with stories. God tells us the, creation, the story of creation, and then he tells us the story of Adam and Eve, and then their kids, Cain and Abel, and then the generations after that. So many good stories in the Bible that help us see God. And you think about Jesus, he used stories to teach all the time. He would take a, a, pers- a farmer or a king or a seed and he would use it as an example of a spiritual truth and he would teach people with stories. And the rest of the New Testament, really, most of the New Testament is really the story of the early church and how it began and grew and began to change our planet 2,000 years ago. We're here today because 2,000 years ago, about 120 people started getting together and believing that Jesus wanted to do something through them. And now billions of people follow Jesus on this planet because of them. That's a compelling story. Stories teach us and compel us to change. And since your life is a story, what kind of story is it? What what chapter are you in right now in your story? What chapter are you finishing up a chapter and moving into a new chapter in your story? Today we're, we're starting a summer series called Telling Our Stories. And we're going to look at different characters in the Bible different stories in the Bible, and how those stories reveal God to us. And we're going to sprinkle into that stories of of Hillcrest people, and how God's moving in our community here. 
And some of those same themes we see in Scripture we see happening in our world today. We're going to look at a lot of different characters. We're going to look at, like, Abraham. Abraham, um, there's three of the major world religions see Abraham as their father, their religious leader. Judaism, Islam, Christianity. We all go back to Abraham. What a compelling man. We're going to look at his story. We're going to look at Rahab, kind of a woman of some questionable morals, but God used her in a powerful way. We're going to look at David, who was a shepherd, and he became the second king of Israel. He was a mighty warrior that, that, uh, that killed um, giants, but he also killed heroes. And we're going to look at David's story. Priscilla, one of the leaders of the early church, who was an artist, she loved to create fabric tents, and she also created spiritual homes. And we're going to look at Priscilla's story. And Timothy, a, a young person, really a teenager, that God was using to lead the church in Ephesus under the mentorship of Paul. These are just a couple of the stories that we're going to look at this summer and tell these stories and, and see what God might say to us through these stories. And in each one of these um, people are a main character in their story, but they would, they would not want to say they're the main character. They would want to reflect that song we sang this morning. I think it's so great that we were singing Jesus at the center, Jesus at the center of your church, Jesus at the center of it all. And, and so often we're tempted to be our own main characters in our story, but as followers of Jesus Christ, as those who have surrendered our lives to God, we don't want to be the center of our story. We don't want to be the main character. We want, we want Jesus to be the core of who we are. We want him to be the main character in our stories. Those seeking to know God seek to put him in the center. And, and Jesus has changed my life, and he has changed many of your lives as well. And, and that's what we want to focus on as we talk this morning. Jesus is ready to walk into your story today. He's ready, ready to reveal himself to you, to help you see his forgiveness and the truth of your reality. And Jesus wants to speak to you today. And in the New Testament, we can read about how he is at the center of everything. If you've got a Bible with you, I just want to invite you to open up to Colossians chapter 1. In the New Testament, Colossians, some great book titles in the New Testament. Colossians is a letter written by a man named Paul to some of his friends in a town called Colossae. So people that lived in Colossae were called Colossians. So that's where the title comes from. And, and Paul starts right in chapter 1 here of Colossians, writing about how Jesus is at the center of it all that he is what the universe is built around. So look at, at verse, uh, we're going to look at verse 15 through 17 of Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the exact likeness of God who can't be seen. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him, talking about Jesus. And then verse 17, Jesus is before all things, and in him all things are held together. Jesus holds all things together. You see how he's at the core. He's the main character that we want our stories to be about. I believe that Jesus is the creator God and that he was there at creation and he's here today with us and that he reflects to us a perfect image of God. The very first phrase in that, that verse, Christ is the exact likeness of God. He reflects to us who our Heavenly Father is. God is a mystery to us. He is beyond us. He is outside of time. God's not confined by place the way that we are. And so it's hard for us to understand who God is and how he speaks and how he leads and how he interacts with us. But Jesus helps us to see God. Jesus reflects to us what God is like, his character, and how he treats people. It's almost like Jesus is a mirror that perfectly reflects to us our Heavenly Father God, because Jesus is God, and God is reflected through him. 
I don't know if you've gone to uh, buy clothes lately, but I've heard about some clothing stores that hang mirrors in their dressing rooms that distort reality a little bit. They make you look a little thinner or a little taller than you actually are. Have you heard this? So, so you're trying on clothes at this store, and you're in the dressing room, and you're going, I'm looking good today. I'm like, I am working those jeans. Look at that, you know? And you don't realize that it, the mirror's actually working you. You know, that's what's going on. You're not seeing reality. It's warped in that image. And Jesus doesn't do that to us. When he reflects God to us, we get a true image of who God is. And so when you're wondering, what would God have me do? What does God want to say to me? Look at the life of Jesus. Look at what we have written down about his stories, because he's reflecting God to us. And one of the most amazing things about that truth is that because we can become followers of Jesus, since we can become Christians, which means little, little Christ, little Jesus, that, that God's image can be reflected through us as well. And of course, we don't do it perfectly. We don't do it near as well as Jesus does it. But it's an amazing truth that we can reflect God to those around us. Right at the beginning of the Bible, we're told that, that God put himself, a bit of himself in us when he made us. If you want to open up to Genesis chapter 1, right at the beginning, the first chapter of the Bible we're, we're, we're lit in on this truth that we are made to reflect God to the world. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God has spent um, five days creating. He's in day six. He's made all these amazing animals that are filling the planet, and then he turns his attention to humankind. Verse uh, 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make human, be- human beings in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You see right there that word likeness that God uses here in verse 20, 26. Let us make them in our likeness. Just like we read in Colossians, Jesus is the perfect likeness of God. We are made in the image of God. He has placed our image into us. And there's lots of ways we could talk about that. There's lots of ways to understand what does that really mean to be made in the image of God. One way to think about it that I like is, is the idea of logos. When you think about logos, you, you think of a company or business that put out a, a picture or a word or an image, some kind of combination that is supposed to portray to the world what they're all about. It's supposed to capture maybe the product or the, the culture they're trying to create. And a lot of times when you see a certain logo, you have certain feelings or responses to it because of your experience with that company or that, that group of people. So we, we think about like Nike with the swish on the side of the sneakers, right? We, we think about um, Apple computers with the apple and the little bite out of it. We think about the Broncos and the stallion, you know, head. And we think about... Um, <laughs> what? Come on. Come on. I'm, I'm new here. All right, all right, fine. We think about the Chiefs. Yeah. Right. Settle down, settle down. What, what is their logo anyway? I don't even remember what the... All I know is I got to get some red clothes, right? I got I to find some red T-shirts or something. So we, we have experiences with these different groups of people, these different companies, and so when we see their logo, we have an emotional reaction. We have a connection to it. And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad, but there's, there's something that we think about. And that's one way to think about being an image bearer of God. 
When people see you, are you you're like a logo for the creator God. When they see you, do they have an experience? Do that, does it take them to a connection with God? Do they see in you uh, the grace, the kindness, the patience, the, the love, the, the, the gentleness that their father God lives out? When they encounter you, are they reminded of those things? Are you a logo for our God, his mission and his purpose in this world. Now, Jesus, again, did that perfectly. You and I, not so much, but the good news is we can grow in that. As the Spirit of God works in our hearts and in our minds, we can grow and become a better reflection of him in the world. And there's a couple other places in the New Testament where we see this idea of the image of God coming out. I'm just going to give these to you quickly. Ephesians 4, Paul writes, clothe yourself with the new person created according to God's image in justice and true holiness. And Paul says this image bearer work, it's like putting on clothing. He says, put on that cloth, those clothes, that image of God. It kind of tells us maybe you can choose not to put it on. And he says, put it on. And, and Paul here, he says, it's going to look like justice and holiness. That's what's going to, when you're walking in the image of God, there's going to be people being made right, standards being made right, and there's going to be a holiness, a set-apartness in your life. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 10, put on the new nature, which is renewed in knowledge by conforming to the image of the one who created it. Again, Paul uses that language of putting this on. And he says, you'll be conformed. You're going to be shaped like Play-Doh by your father God so that you can better image him in the world that we find ourselves in. The fact that we bear the image of God means many, many things to us. It should affect um, how we treat others how we speak to those around us, how we, we see ourselves, how we treat our own bodies. It should challenge how we use our time and how we use our finances. Being made in the image of God speaks into all those things. I just want to highlight two quick ideas of what I want to focus on this morning about the image of God, how it affects our identity, and how it affects our death. That's a fun one, death, right? Uh, but it speaks to those two things as well. Identity, what is our identity? Well, it's, it's who we think we are. It's actually who we think other people think we are when they see us this image we have of ourselves. Our identity includes uh, the idea of being someone's child or someone's friend or someone's partner. It has to do with our physical appearance, our social connections, our political opinions, our moral attitudes, our connection with God. And, and today, people seek to build their identity on so many different things. So many different things. We, we talk about looking inside ourselves, trying to figure out what's important to me, what, what makes me tick, what are my thoughts that consume my mind. We talk about go and find your truth or go and live your truth. A lot of people seek their identity by looking inside themselves. Some people define themselves based on who they're attracted to or who they're not attracted to, right? They try to live into their identity based on, on their gender or their sexuality or their attraction, and they say, that's who I am. That's going to be my identity. They define themselves sometimes based on their skills or their abilities, the ways they can get things done. They see themselves primarily as an athlete or an artist or, or things that their life can produce. And all of these journeys can bring interesting results to this question of who am I? All of them can help fill out a little bit more that question of who am I really in this world? What is my identity all about? But each of these storylines, each one of them will, will fall short. You'll find them to be shallow You'll find them to feel incomplete if you don't start with the most important question. Who does God say that I am? Who does my creator see me as? When he sees me, what does he see? If we don't start with that core identity question, because we're made in the image of God, we are made to reflect him. If we don't start there, then everything else, all those other pursuits will feel empty and shallow. And this can be a lifetime pursuit, but it's well worth the research. 
So what does God think of you? Maybe we can just hit a few of those this morning. What is God? God thinks that you are his kids. He believes that you are his children, his sons and daughters. And, and God is a father to us, maybe unlike any kind of father you've ever experienced in your life. And he sees you as his child. God sees you and, and he doesn't see you as condemned. You are not condemned in God's eyes. Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn the world. I came to save the world. When many people, when they think of God, they think he's angry and he's just looking for ways to bring fire down upon our lives. But scripture tells us that's not how God sees us. We are not condemned by God. I mean, the truth is we're, we're condemned by ourselves. We, we condemn ourselves, the ways that we live our life without God. When we, we look to him and say, you know what, I'm okay today. I don't, I don't need you. I'm going to take this one on on my own. And we, we might think that way. We might say that. But many times we just live that way. We don't intentionally do it, but we just say, God, I'm good. I'm okay that's what condemns us. That's what separates us from God. And God says, I want to bring you back. I want to give you life. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you from that kind of living and to give you a new way. When God looks at you, he does not see you as condemned. God, um, God says that we are valuable, that we matter to him. He came, Jesus came to earth because God so loved the world. And, and God doesn't have favorites. We have favorites sometimes, but God does not have favorites. Every person you lock eyes with today matters to God and is valuable to him. That is true because we're made in his image. And God says that we are potential saints and priests. Did you know that? That God sees you as a spiritual leader in your family, in your, at your work, at your school, in your neighborhood. And God, when he looks at you, he says, you have the potential to lead people spiritually. A lot of times we, we put people who are pastors or priests up on a pedestal of some kind, but guess what? Each one of you can be a saint and a priest in the kingdom of God because the spirit of God is at work inside of you, transforming you. God says you are his kids, that you are not condemned, that you are valuable, that you are a spiritual leader. These are, these are things that are true about us because we're made in the image of God. And if we allow those things to form our core identity, if we think about that is who I really am, then the rest of life will get lined out the way it should be. The rest of life will make sense. All those other pursuits will come into alignment because at the core, we're saying, God, who do you say that I am? One of the highlights of this first week for me has been sitting with different staff members at church here and getting to hear their stories. I haven't been able to sit with all of them, but many of them I have, and been able to talk with them, pray with some of them, and just to hear how God called them and, and what he's doing in their life. And that's just been so much fun this week. I, I met Jan, who's in charge of our facility and grounds. I don't know if you've met Jan. He's been here a long time. But he shared with me how his, his wife passed away 25 years ago, and his identity, his understanding of, of himself had to change into a single dad. And what does that look like to be a widower and a single dad? And, and he said it was difficult and it was a time of grieving and sadness for him, but that, that God walked him through that and helped his identity get shifted as he embraced that new thing for him. I sat with Rabin, who works with our, our students and their families, our high school kids, and, and he's newer on staff here, but he shared with me when he was 11 years old and in Turkey, and he was walking to school, and along the way, he walked by this Orthodox Christian church, and so one day, he just stopped in there and sat down, and he said he sat and stared at a statue of Jesus on a cross for a long time. As an 11-year-old, you know, what's long for an 11-year-old? 15 minutes, but he felt like it was hours, you know, just staring at that cross, and eventually, someone from the church came up to him. And he, the first thing he said, he asked a question. He said, why did he have to die that way? That's what he, he asked. And the person was able to share with him about Jesus and how his death on the cross offered forgiveness to Rabin and his life was transformed by Jesus in that moment. 
I got to meet with Jessica this week and, and hear about how God has wired her up as an, a writer, an author, and as a speaker, and, and these gifts that he's planted in her life and how she finds such joy in sharing the good news of Jesus with others, with men and women, and, and God is using her to transform the lives of people around her that are able to read or, or hear her speak, and, and, and she helps welcome people into the life of this church. If you're newer to the church here, this is a great morning to be here. We're so glad you're here. Jessica's the one that's going to help you make some connections here in community. And I'm so glad to meet these, these staff members this week, how God has called them out, how he's informed their identity. And because we're made in the image of God, our identities get shifted. That's one of the great things about being made in his image. Being made in his image also has to do with the conclusion of our story, that final chapter of our story. And, and in, the, in the Bible, the very first words are, in the beginning. So we know there's a beginning to our stories, right? In the beginning. And we know that God doesn't have a beginning. He doesn't have an end either um, because he was already there when the beginning happened. And in Psalm 90, David writes about this. He says, Lord, from the very beginning, you have been like a home to us. Before you created the world and the mountains were made, from beginning to end, you are God. Before the beginning, but after the end, you are God, he says. But so, so we know God doesn't have a beginning, but we have a beginning. But what's amazing is God doesn't have an end, and guess what? We don't have an end either. That's what's a little surprising to us, because we think maybe we do, but, but because we're made in the image of God, we are created for life. We're not created for death. We're created for life, and we, our lives will not have an end. We will go on. Now, death is a reality. It certainly is, and it's a doorway that we walk through, but it is not the end of our stories. It is simply something we have to go through, that God is with us. We move into eternity, and the fact that we're made in God's image means that, that we will not end. Now, that may either comfort you or it might terrorize you, and it really depends on your understanding of your connection with God and his love and his grace for you. Some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis, an author, wrote a lot of great books. One of the series of books he wrote for kids is called The Chronicles of Narnia. They were made into movies not too long ago, and uh, I really enjoyed those books. And the last book in that, that volume of, of writing is called The Last Battle, and it tells the story of the return of evil to Narnia, this land, and, and the king Aslan leading his people through that battle into freedom again and, and victory. And then he's taking them out of Narnia into a glorious new paradise. And right at the end of, of that book, uh, The Last Battle, C.S. Lewis writes these words. All their life in this world had only been the cover and title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story, which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every battle, every chapter, I'm sorry, is better than the one before. And Lewis says that their life was like just the beginning of the story, just the cover page. And now as they were leaving planet, the planet. They were actually starting the actual story, every chapter being more interesting, more compelling than the one before. That's what is true of us. Since we are made in the image of God, we are not created for death. We are created for life. I use this passage, that little quote at funerals a lot, because death feels so strange to us. It's so painful, and it's because we're not created for it. We're created to live we're created to have this life, and we will move into that new reality. We'll enter into that new chapter, and many of us will move into a time of connection to God and to life, but some will move into that new chapter disconnected from God and disconnected from life, and that choice is set before us, and it's really, what do we do with Jesus? What do we believe about what he's done? Again, he is at the core and if we embrace the forgiveness that Jesus offers us, if we allow his life to transform our lives, 
then this next chapter is something that we can look forward to with expectation, with joy, and with great hope. You were born, but you will not, you will not end. You will go on. I want to invite you to trust the author of your life. I want to call you back to the one who is writing your story, the one in whose image you are created. God made you and he has your life and he desires a deep connection with you. And he has done everything necessary for that to happen. And this morning, I just want to remind you of that, to connect your story to his story, to allow the truth that you are made in his image to affect how you see yourself, your identity, and also challenge how you see the end of your life, which there will not be an ending. You will just simply move into what is next with your Father God. This, this summer, we're going to look at these stories of real people who sought to understand their connection with God, real people who lived in light of the truth of God's creation, real people who struggled with questions, who made poor choices sometimes, just like we do, and yet found God faithful and good. And I believe this summer, as we take each Sunday looking at a different character, we're going to be encouraged in our faith. So I want to invite you to come back. Every Sunday you're in town, be here with us, join us online, and allow God to speak to you and encourage your faith as we look at these stories together. Will you pray with me? Father God, we're so thankful that you are the author of our story, that you are the main character, and that as we see our lives, Lord, we see the ups and downs, we see the, the comedies, we see the tragedies. And Father, we know that you have been with us through all of that. And Lord, you know where we are today. You see each person's heart and their life in this room right now, those watching online. You see what they're going through. You know, that, you know if today's going to be a comedy or a tragedy for them. And Father, we thank you that you are good and faithful and that no matter what we face, you are going to walk with us through it. And that because of Jesus, we have forgiveness. Because of Jesus, we can know real life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And Father, this morning as we receive communion together, we're just going to invite you to speak to us again. Call us back to yourself and remind us, and remind us of this truth, that we are your kids made in your image and that you love us. And we thank you for that, Father God. It's in your name we pray. Amen.